Good morning. My name is Joe, my pronouns are he and him, and it is good to be with you this morning. I have missed your smiling faces. I'm assuming that you're smiling. My imaginary audience is always smiling and laughing at my jokes and very rarely going to sleep. It has been quite lonely in here preaching without all of you. My greetings to those of you on Zoom as well. I would compliment your smiling faces also, but I'm sure by now you've turned off your cameras to go get something to drink while I'm preaching. <laughs> One of my favorite church services every year is the Good Friday Tenebrae service. Many of you have participated in the version that we do here at Wildwood, and it has looked a bit different, quite a bit different during the pandemic. But most years we gather in this space and we sit around in small groups as we read through the gospel stories of Jesus' crucifixion and death. For each station of the cross, we pass around various items that represent the deep emotional journey to the cross with the repeated refrain that this story of Jesus is also our story. And with each step on that path, we blow out another candle. We all participate in the journey of deepening darkness. And as we blow out that final candle at the moment of Jesus' death, we sit for a while in darkness, in silence. There aren't any surprises in this service, especially now that we've done it together for almost a decade. We know the Good Friday story ends in death and destruction. But we still sit in the tension of that moment, the heartbreak of innocence lost, the weight of the final act, the inevitability of death. This is our story. And then in darkness, I read these words. With this, the day ends. Like the disciples, we are scattered. We leave in shock, in fear, in silence, in darkness. But not without hope. For with the darkness comes the reminder that the Sabbath has begun. Once again, God's work is done. As Jesus said, it is finished. Once again, God rests. And with that comes the hope that once again, against all odds, God's work is good. That's a pretty audacious claim to make, that the death and destruction, darkness of a crucifixion is somehow good. But it's right there in the name that, the, that Christians have given the event, Good Friday. Certainly there in the symbolic timing, beginning with the holy day of Passover, pointing to the Exodus story, another story where death and destruction leads to salvation. And then ending at the sunset, marking the beginning of Sabbath, the day of rest, pointing to that creation story where God brings order out of disorder, form evolving out of chaos. The rescue is not separate from the tragedy. Creation is not separate from the deconstruction. As Richard Rohr puts it, the undoing is part of the remaking. 
Let's listen to a piece of a conversation between Richard and his co-host, Bree Stoner, from the podcast, Another Name for Everything. Point to what you wrote about resurrection is incarnation, taken to its logical conclusion. Resurrection is happening all the time Mm -hmm. in millions of ways, in thousands of expressions. Everywhere, all the time. And it's the pushback of death that makes it hard to see. <laughs> uh, that that it uh, pushes forward, but then it's undone. Pushes forward and then is undone. And that's why the cross had to be given as this dramatic symbol of even the best will be undone. Uh, I don't know why God created the universe that way. I really don't. <laughs> that the undoing is the part of the remaking. And maybe that's at the core of the biblical notion of faith. This all means something. This is still good. And this is still going somewhere. And that is planted in us. That's the divine. That's the seed. I just, I said it in one of my books somewhere. You know, the thought that almost every animal in nature, and even in a, as a family pet, dies a painful death. Mm-hmm. Almost every reindeer goes out and sits in a field and mm-hmm. dies from a liver disease. I don't know what reindeer die of, but boy, this is nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that's going to be my first question of God. How come you shaped it that way? Mm-hmm. But the cross is telling us, this is the shape. Don't be afraid of it. We're still afraid of it, though. I am. Yeah. I, and I just don't like it. <laughs> well, I don't think any of us do. And I kind of just want to pause on what you said because it, it, it's hit me in such a profound way, this phrase, the undoing is part of the remaking. The undoing is part of the remaking. And how, what a, what a f- profound summary that is. It is. Of the um, relationship of the hope between Jesus and Christ, that it's like somehow in the outpouring of his life, a violent death um, because of his threat to the empire, which for most of the disciples, most of the people watching would be this feeling of absolute loss. Mm-hmm. Like what a waste, what a the waste. The only world they ever knew. What a waste of this gifted, you know, prophet, person, you know, rabbi, however they saw him. And yet the idea that you're saying is that nothing is ever wasted or lost. lost. Somehow... The outpouring of our lives, the outpouring of everything that happens is woven into this remaking of something bigger, something good that takes, you know, an eternity perhaps to manifest. Did you get all of that? The undoing is part of the remaking. I don't entirely understand it either, but it has been echoing around inside of me for a while now. And I wonder if that's what Jesus is saying to his friends in our scripture text from John 16. In the middle of what we call Holy Week, they were caught up in the tension, the undoing of the world as they knew it. They had pinned all their hopes on Jesus. They had left their nets, their livelihood behind to follow him. They had named him Messiah and King. They organized this big coronation rally. But Jesus didn't claim his throne on coronation day. Instead, he started talking about death. 
a grain of wheat being planted, dying in order to bring fruit. Then he walked away, not leading the crowd in revolution, but hiding from it. And later, instead of a crown, he took up the towel and basin of a common servant. He knelt down and washed the feet of his friends. This was not the direction that things were supposed to go. He was undoing all of their expectations, their plans and investments. And then Jesus said that he was leaving, that soon they would not see him anymore. They would see him again, but differently, with spiritual eyes. I will give you the Greek wordplay lesson some other time if you're interested. He's saying there's more undoing, dead ahead. The truth of the matter is, you'll weep and mourn, but the cosmos will rejoice. You'll grieve for a time, but your grief will turn to joy. Can you see it? This is bad for you. It's going to hurt. You will weep and mourn. But the cosmos, and that is the Greek word, the universe, the whole thing will rejoice. You are in pain, but through your pain there is something bigger going on, something joyful even. You will grieve, you will be in pain, but your pain will become joy. Your experience of undoing is part of the remaking of the cosmos. It's like when a woman is in labor, or so I've heard. <laughs> you got to love the confidence with which Jesus, the single male, invokes this most intimately feminine experience of suffering. When a woman is in labor, she cries out because her time has come. When she has borne her baby, she no longer remembers her pain because, her, because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. Or something like that. I've been around just enough to know that the pain does not magically melt away in a loving haze of baby powder and tiny socks. Pregnancy and labor, keeping a newborn alive, are indeed an undoing of sorts. There is a high cost to bringing new life into the world. But that undoing is part of the remaking. And somehow we name that good. At least we keep on doing it, generation after generation. The undoing is part of the remaking. And by the ancient wisdom of the Bible, this is good. Nothing is ever wasted or lost. Somehow the outpouring of our lives, the outpouring of everything that happens is woven into this remaking of something bigger, something good that takes an eternity perhaps to manifest. I want to believe that. I choose to believe that. It is good news sure. Maybe that is the good news. But here's the thing. Believing it, choosing to trust and hope in it, doesn't relieve us from having to go through it. Choosing to find a purpose in the pain can help us to bear it, especially looking backwards. After the fact, meaning and purpose and belonging can transform pain into something better, something that we might with time name as healing restoration, even peace. But it doesn't take away the hurt. It doesn't make the pain constructive. It doesn't balance the equation. The gospel is not a cure for suffering. Many of you know that truth more deeply than I can imagine. 
And so we find these accounts of Jesus, one minute speaking with total confidence about the pains of labor being turned to joy, then a few hours later being overcome with tears in the garden. Father God, take this cup from me. And we hear wise friar Richard Rohr giving his studied conclusion that the undoing is part of the remaking and immediately following that up with, I don't understand it, I'm afraid of it, I don't like it. I question God, how come you shaped it that way? It's like the end of my favorite movie, Forrest Gump. Mama always said dying was a part of life. Sure wish it wasn't. Sure wish it wasn't. That is lament. Not a cure for suffering, not fixing it or minimizing it or avoiding our pain, but a space, a container in which to hold it. Once more from Richard Rohr. And uh, as you well know, I've always seen the cross as the, as the holding, not the resolving. The very gesture of two nailed hands is I'm here with it. And then the women standing at the foot of the cross, not wailing, not uh, trying to protest, we, at least in the accounts we have just standing there holding. It's a, a learning of the meaning comes from the holding itself, the time experience itself. That's an abstract concept, one that calls for us to make it real in our bodies, in our tears, in our sharing, in our presence together. We have missed that. We've missed so many of these opportunities in the past 18 months. We've had to find new ways to lament. And a whole lot of us, myself included, have often simply pushed those laments away, maybe later, pushed them deep inside, tried to hold them ourselves. And that is okay for a time. We haven't had many good alternatives. But there must be a time to let those rise to the surface, to let them out, to truly hold them, feel them, rather than holding them in. Today's ritual of candle lighting is a step into that space of holding our laments together. We will have the opportunity to name some of our losses and invite others to hold them alongside us. And this is good. But know that there is a whole lot of grief in many of us, and that's going to continue to work itself out as we move through this new season of the pandemic, especially when we come together in the safe spaces of church and face-to-face -face relationship. My suggestion is that we expect to be surprised by grief for a good long while. Tears out of nowhere, unexpectedly strong reactions to things, maybe some tension, defensiveness sneaking up on us. That would make sense. These are particularly tender days. So may we give each other and ourselves permission to lament as this pandemic rolls on, on top of the other losses and fears of life. May we give ourselves permission to wonder why, to wish it didn't have to be this way, permission to come undone, even as with our other hand, we hold on to the wisdom that the undoing is part of the remaking. May it be.